Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we traditionally light the Advent can- uh, candle up here at the communion table, and we also um, normally uh, we invite the, the children to come up and sit around here and, and in the front rows, but we're unable to do that because of the regulations and stuff and today we've only got two young people that might feel embarrassed to do that anyway so uh they're they're not really children anymore they're tween teenagers yeah so uh anyway um but we still will we need to do this as far as part of our service and as part of my message as well the various candles that we light ultimately how many how many candles are there up here normally? Five. Very good. Some, a lot of people will say four because they think of the four Sundays before Christmas. But there's actually five. Four Sundays, and then the fifth one is lit either on the fourth Sunday or Christmas Eve. Uh, and it's called the Christ candle, and it's the it's the uh light of the world. So we have the candle of hope. The candle of peace, the candle of joy, the candle of love, and then the candle of, of the light of the world, the Christ candle. Uh, we add one, I light one new candle each service, and this year we won't have a Christmas Eve service, and so uh, we will light the fifth candle at the end of our service as celebration as we sing. So uh, we'll have all five candles up here when we're done. Uh, and, I, and I wrote down here a question I was going to ask the kids. What do Christians look forward to the most? But, you know, we're all children of God. You know, you can think about this for a second. What do we look forward to as Christians? What do we look forward to the most? Yeah. The second coming. Okay, and and second coming adds to it another thought. What happens with the second coming? We are, what what happens? We take up our new residence where? In the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation of God. What we're looking for is is what I was thinking was the second coming of Christ and the idea of heaven. Um, one of the the name uh, questions. Uh, to get into my uh, one of my uh, uh, computer accounts, it asks various questions so that you can get the, the, the it to open up. And it, one of it is, what what city do you wish you lived in, or where do you wish you lived? Where do you wish you lived? And I just put heaven, and that's my now you know one of my passwords. And uh, it's uh, but uh, anyway, it's. The idea is it's what we look forward to, we long for. And I, I even thought of the, the children's song. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. We can sing that as many times as you want to. Uh, <laughs> And based on your applause, I think I, I'm done. Uh, 
but anyway, uh, who goes to heaven? Who goes? There, there are some people and even some churches that will preach everybody goes. It's not what the scripture says. Who goes to heaven? Okay, Christians, believers. Followers of Christ. Okay. But what it makes you a follower of Christ? There's something that, that, that happens that you do. And, and it's, it's something that we do basically normally in a public format. It says that we, we're not to be afraid to do this in a public format. Becca? Okay. Born again, confess Jesus as Lord. Putting it very specifically, you think of Romans chapter 10 verses uh, 9 and 10. It talks about confess and believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. All who confess and believe will be saved. Okay, so we are children of God as we confess and we believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. Now, with that comes the, all of the things that the Scripture says about that, that 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 person, Jesus Christ, is over at that point. You know, so he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's you know, all the things that go with that. And so, what it is is we're saying, He's my King, He's my God, He's my Lord. Uh, what He wants, I want. And if I'm in conflict with him, then I'm missing the mark. And by the way, if we're in conflict with him over something and we're missing the mark, what is that actually called? And if the kids I was asking, they would yell out to me all at once, probably sin. They're pretty good about knowing most of these answers. And uh, sin, missing the mark. Okay, what happened? Christ came. He died for us. He covered our sin was brought back to life, raised from the dead. As a result, and this is where I come into this as part of our message as well, we are joint heirs with Jesus. He shares his inheritance with us. We get we get heaven. We get eternal life. We get, you know, uh, to share all the abundance and joy and, and beauty of, of a new heaven and a new earth. What an amazing thing. There's a uh, an author, his name is Randy Alcorn, and I suggest if you ever have an opportunity to read his books on heaven, they, they're excellent. And they're done in such a way to just bring great understanding and and preciseness to it in the sense of if this, then that. I love that way of, of presenting something. If you do this, this is what happens. And uh, so... We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. Where do we first hear or see sin in the Scriptures? Anybody? I said we're all kids today. so In the Garden of Eden, do you know what chapter that is? Chapter 3, yes. That's where we're going to be this morning. Chapter 3 of Genesis. And so let's go there. And 
I want to read the first few verses. Now, by the time we get to chapter three, uh, God has created man and he's created woman and, and they're in the garden. Uh, and, uh, we pick up in chapter three. It says now, verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, as we go through here, it's easy to figure out who the serpent is, but revelation tells us very clearly who the serpent is. He is Satan. Okay. So just, uh, in that plot, you know, uh, the serpent, Satan, was very crafty. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you not to eat of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is the midst, in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Who was with her. And he ate. God said your eyes will be open. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Can you. I can't imagine what it would be like. To be free. Of sin in such a way that you know nothing about it. You know nothing about it, but that's where they were. And the, and and it says the the serpent comes up, and when he says it's good to eat and it tastes good, and he's tempting her with it, and and you'll understand good and evil. God's holding back from you. God hasn't given you everything. He's holding back from you what you would like to have the most. And then it says she saw that it was good to eat, and 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 and. I have a, a mental picture, and I, it doesn't say it in Scripture, so I can't say it's revelation or Scripture, but I see my mind's eye, the serpent taking a bite. He's already condemned. He's, he's not going to be any worse off, but he could show her, look how good it is. Isn't that what Satan does with sin, though, in general? He gives us the idea that I will feel better, I'll feel more complete uh, if I will do this, even in the back of our head when we know that it's something that goes against God, that it's missing the mark, it's missing his holiness, we turn around and we say, but, and the reality is, I want to. And we miss the mark we sin. So Eve, she takes and eats, she gives to Adam. It implies, by the way, the, the, the sequencing goes here, that Adam was within reach of her, which means he was where when this conversation between the serpent, he was there with her. Okay. Now, God had said to Adam and Adam had said to Eve not to eat. Eve knew where the message came from, came from God. Adam didn't do anything either. 
I heard one sermon that said Adam stood back and waited for a moment to see what happened, and she didn't surely die. That's what God said would happen. If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So now he eats of the fruit. You see, they had no understanding of death. So when the woman saw, she ate, gave to Adam, he ate. And then it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Then in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, God comes into the picture. He's walking in the garden. Now, Adam and Eve had walked with God in the garden. And the way that this is sequenced gets the impression that as soon as God would be walking in the garden, they would what? Go to him and walk with him. It says they walked with him in the garden and they would go to him. And but they didn't come this time. And God uses, you know, the phrase, where are you? Now, God's omnipotent. So this phrase is not meant necessarily for him to find out anything but for him to touch their conscience in a sense of what have you done where are you and of course we get into the blame game we're so good at this we can find so many excuses as to why we are less than what God wants us to be it's the, the, the COVID that you allow to happen. It's a hard one to wrestle with. It's the economic position you that I'm in. It's the parents you gave me. It's the siblings you gave me. It's the family you gave me. It's the, the culture you put me in. Oh, we can, we can just come up with thing after thing after thing and, and say, uh, we blame you. We can be in a, in a, in a culture where everything is, is prohibitive and we can say, it's the culture you put me in. God, you know, everything is, is regulated by the government and I have to bounce and jump according to their will. Or we can say, God, it's the freedom that you've given me in the culture that I'm in and I am free to do anything and everything I want and they don't tell me it's right or wrong. See, we, we, we're good at the blame game. They had never had a chance to blame anything for anybody, and yet it was automatic. Sin, once sin is in you, it's it's a part of you. The blame game is part of you, too. Eve, you know, what have you done? Adam, what have you done? Adam says, it's the woman. And notice how he phrased it. It's the woman you gave me. He's even indirectly, or maybe very directly. We can't read too much into it, but he's definitely pointing his finger at God to the extent that he says, you made her. Adam says, it's a woman you gave me. And, and Eve Man, she doesn't waste any time. Serpent, I didn't ask him to come over to the tree. 
he came and asked me to come over the tree. He beguiled me or he he tempted me. He tricked me is actually the idea that, that comes from this. He deceived me. Again, isn't that what we call Satan? The great deceiver. The consequences. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Came uh, God among the trees of the. They hid among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, "I heard the sound of your garden, of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." And God said, "Who told you that you were naked?" Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is that that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now listen very carefully how this comes out as far as the consequences. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, or her seed and your seed. He shall bruise your head, her offspring shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, the offspring's heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire, you, you desire, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It's an interesting phrasing here. There's a lot of people that have different ideas of what it says, but something I had heard very early in my Christian walk at, at, uh, in Bible college could be read, you will desire for a, a, a gentle, man, but instead you're going to get someone who rules over you. And we've seen all through history, haven't we? Cultures where men, women have no rights. We think of it even our own country. Uh, you know, them getting the right to vote, to own property, all different kinds of things that weren't theirs to start with. And then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, the implication, and ignored me. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So now we have an interesting thing. The consequences of sin didn't only impact man, it impacted the earth. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. till the return to, Until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you, uh, you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The death sentence. You may not die immediately, but you will die. 
You know, in the garden. By the way, in the garden, did Adam work? Yes. A lot of people think that Adam, you know, and kind of like lay around, wait for something, the food to drop off the tree or something, you know. They, it says that they were keepers of the garden. They were husbandmen. They, they, they actually worked in the garden. And, but, you know, they, they grew tomatoes. They got tomatoes. They grew, you know, whatever they, they, they got what was planted. Now they're going to plant, and I'll look at it from a, just a standpoint of a guesswork here. You'll plant tomatoes, and with the tomatoes, you're going to get thistles and thorns and other things that grow up with it. In other words, the ground has now been cursed. All of this because of sin. And you might say, man, where's the hope? Well, it's very, very interesting that in the very middle of this message, of the curse is the hope. And this is where I wanted to go this morning as, as, as the message this morning is in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The curse against Satan. The strangest place to find hope, if you think about it. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. In other words, there is no creature created that is lower than you. That's quite a statement. Satan had already been cast out of heaven. Because he what? Go to Isaiah, I think it's 14, you find out he... He desired to be in charge, basically. He desired to be equal with God. God cast him out of heaven. There was a war in heaven over this. Revelation says a third of the angels were cast out with him. The demonic spirits is what we would label them today. You are the lowest of the low. I will put enmity or I will put, uh, you know, a sense of, of, um, oh, I can't, uh, hostility. That's, that would be a good antonym, uh, a synonym. Hostility. I'm going to put hostility between, uh, you and the woman. And this word isn't fear. It's hostility. It's rejection. You're repugnant to me. And between her, your offspring and her offspring. Who are the offspring of, of, we know who the offspring of woman is. We go and starting in chapter four, we start running the history of it. The offspring of Satan is an interesting phrase too though. Who are the offspring of Satan? Cain, <laughs> yeah, it turns out he became one. Um, anybody who sins and is unrepentant. Anybody who sins and is repentant, confesses and believes, we are what? Delivered from our sins. And in the Old Testament, our sins keep being rolled over and over and over until Jesus Christ comes to the cross. Okay? And then and then it's taken care of. But if we are unrepentant, who are we? We're the children of the devil. We are we we are not of God, we are of Satan. People don't like to hear it so black and white. But we're either the, it's either or. 
We're either the offspring of God and woman through or we are offspring of the devil. And the offspring of the of, of the woman, he says, very specific, seed singular. You uh, he said to Satan, the seed of woman shall bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. What we have here is the the, the picture of the cross even. Jesus is bruised. Have you have you ever stepped out on something and hit your the, the heel just right in the and just before the back of the heel and, and and the pain just shoots up your leg? What normally happens? You at least do that. But if your heel is thoroughly bruised, you'll what? You'll go down. By the way, that was an, a, a tactic of war. Sever the guy's tendons in his heel, he'll go down. Achilles. <laughs> you know, Greek mythology. Yeah. Uh, Achilles, you know, discovered that, or was told that. Um, so what we have is this, this, this picture of, it will appear that you have taken this singular seed. By the way, most of the time, we refer to heritage as the son of the son of the son of and referring to tracing our, our heritages. And and in this case, we're talking about the heritage very specifically of the woman, a singular seed. And there's a, a, a word. I have to look at it because I'll mispronounce it if I don't. Prote evangelium. Prote evangelium is one of those words you learn in Bible college and then never use again. And uh, I got to use it again. Uh, and what it means is the gospel proclamation. This is called, and, and proto is first. So the first gospel pro, uh, proclamation, the first telling of the good news is referenced. That's what this verse is called, the protoleum. Protoleum. I don't get to get that. And uh, he gets his heel bruised, means he's taken down. It appears as if Satan, it appears as if you win. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He's buried. Some people say Satan knows scripture well enough to know that that really wasn't the end. I believe personally that he knew scripture well enough to know that that wasn't the end, but still vain enough to think that he could beat it. It's what drives him. I really believe that. And as a result, he's down. He's down for the count. Day one. Day two. Day three, he surely did. In the resurrection. I can't imagine what was going on in the kingdom of, 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 of Satan when that happened. Were they partying? Were they screaming and yelling and, and having a, you know, a victory dance? Whatever. And all of a sudden, he's risen. The seed of woman. 
says, will bruise your head, Satan. The seed of woman is going to bruise your head. To bruise the head means to conquer completely. It's a picture of someone standing with their head. The, the word does imply crush, but it doesn't mean to, to crush literally, but it means to crush everything that this person has in the way of authority. Satan has lost every bit of authority he had other than what we give back to him. His head was under the foot of Christ. His kingdom has been defeated. He is nothing. He is the lowest thing there is. He is defeated. I think that's a powerful picture. The gospel proclamation. Satan has been defeated. Jesus Christ, the seed of woman, has done it. How did he do it? He did it through the cross where Satan bruised his heel, but he comes back. And through the resurrection is now the authority over death. He has conquered death. I've heard some sermons sometimes at, 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 at uh, funerals where someone will say, and finally death. Our friend came and took us home. Wrong. Death has never been and never will be our friend. Death was the consequence of sin. It always has been the consequences of sin. It always will be the consequence of sin. And as a result, it has, it is our enemy. Death is our enemy. Our bodies naturally fight it. So, death is our enemy. Death is always the enemy of man. But through Jesus Christ, he is the lowest of the low. He's been conquered. His head has been bruised, meaning he has been thoroughly crushed in the sense of his kingdom authority. And so I put here God's plan for redeeming man comes back into picture. Remember Romans 10 verses 9 and 11. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead and you shall be justified. You shall be saved. Justified, by the way, is a word that tells us justice has been served. Because we have sinned and the penalty of sin is death, we must die and be separated from God. That's the penalty. And then Jesus comes into the picture, goes to the cross on our behalf, experiences our separation to the point where he even cries out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He knows our punishment. And he did that so that if we confess and believe, we will have eternal life. We shall be saved. I turn to Ephesians, one of my favorite scriptures to use in this picture. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God the Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
in the heavenly places. Because we are joint heirs with Jesus. How many spiritual blessings are we blessed with? Every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things of earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been pretested according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Amen. What a powerful, powerful picture. We are redeemed. We have been justified. We have been forgiven because Jesus came to this earth, allowed his heel to be bruised and take him down, went through our penalty, took it upon himself, so that if we would confess and believe, we will be saved and never, we will never experience the real consequences of our sin because of Jesus Christ. His heel was bruised, but he's crushed the head of Satan. This is who we worship. This is who we celebrate at Christmas. And so we've started with this Christian, this scripture. Because it's the very first time we see sin in the Old Testament. But in the midst of it, he gives us hope. The Advent candle for this morning is the first candle of the year. And it's the candle that represents (laughs) hope. Peace, joy, and love will come and follow. And then the Christ candle, the light of the world, to celebrate that Jesus is the light of the world. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we could come together this morning to worship you, to praise you. We come at a time of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what you have done, but also thanksgiving for what you are going to do. The hope that you have given us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We know that we are still living out our salvation as Paul working out our salvation, but not to earn it, but to go through it to the point where we enter into your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us, that you have called us your own. Cause us this time of the year to be having your eyes and your ears around as we go through the the checkout lines and all the things that go on at Christmas time. Give us a sensitivity to, to, to be bold and wish a joyful Christmas to people and, and, and to celebrate day in and day out 
the awesomeness of who God is and cause that to, to be the way we live our lives on a regular basis. To be sensitive to those in need around us and the reality that you meet every need, but you meet the ultimate need. You have conquered death for us. Thank you. Thank you that we will not know the consequences. Not the full consequences, other than what your word tells us. We will not experience it. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.